Jill, very much for that uh, beautiful rendition of His Eye is on, on the Sparrow. Um, it's made famous uh, by Ethel Waters. Uh, she, um, well, Ethel was, was born in 1900 uh, um, as a result of rape of her, at the time of her birth, 13-year-old mother. She was raised on the streets of Philadelphia, um, a very harsh, extremely traumatic experience. And as she grew up, she's also extremely talented, um, was the first African-American to win a primetime Emmy with her own television show. And uh, she came to Christ, to rededicate her life uh, to Christ in the 1950s, and then uh, toured with Billy Graham in the 60s and 70s. And her autobiography is called Eye on the Sparrow. And there's actually a, a, a popular play, um, also a musical, that tells the story of how she engaged with hard times, <laughs> difficult times, most challenging times. And in the midst of that, um, experienced the, the love of God. And that's really what our passage um, speaks to us about today. Uh, that, that indeed, um, in conflict, in hard uh, times, in opposition um, to, to anything that we're about, we can enter those times with confidence through Christ. That's, that's what I want to do. I want to enter those times in confidence, right? The, the challenges and struggles, the opposition, the conflicts, whatever they might be. Even if it's the final free throw with no time on the clock. I want to enter that time with confidence because I'm in Christ. Even if it's um, uh, conflict with a family member, a co-worker, a, a, a neighbor, I want to enter into that conflict with confidence in, in, in Christ. Even if it's facing injustice and sexism or, or racism or persecution, I want to enter into that time with confidence. And I think we all want to engage. We know those hard times, that suffering is real, but we want to enter it with confidence. And that's, that's what our passage tells us today. And that's what uh, we learn as we look at uh, Ethel Waters' life and, and other uh, stories that we'll hear today of ways that we enter into that with, with confidence and experience the love of God uh, there. But in Christ, we can enter the hard times with confidence. Our, our passage that we're looking at today as we're journeying through Romans is Romans chapter 5, uh, starting with uh, verse 1. And we'll read through verse uh, 11 and focus primarily on 1 through 5. But get, get to see a little bit of the, of the context there. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Almighty God, again, we give you thanks for your written word as it speaks to us of your truth and, and applies in our lives as we enter into whatever troubles we may, may be in. Um, for whatever reason, uh, speak to us and lead us and guide us in this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. 
Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, I want to just hit a couple things at the very beginning here that, that highlight our position, that sort of summarize what Paul's been saying in these first four chapters of, the, of this letter that he's written to, the, to the, the house churches in Rome. And if you're just joining us here for the first time here or online, I encourage you to go back and listen to the last uh, four sermons and just hear that uh, really unpacked what, what this reconciliation is with God that Paul is summarizing here. But the first thing that he says, that in Christ, we have total peace with God now. Uh, Verse 1, therefore, since we've been justified, since we've been made right with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is total and complete right now. Now, the word peace there, it comes from a a familiar word to, to many you've heard, you know, the Hebrew word shalom. And peace is not just an absence of conflict. It's not just tranquility. No, no, peace in terms of shalom is is a relational flourishing, an intimacy even, and and even a a celebration of that relationship. So this peace is more than just, okay, we're okay. We got a good working relationship. No, our relationship with God is something that flourishes and is intimate. And that's what shalom is with God because that's the power of God's reconciliation. Because in, in, in God's uh, economy, his, his reconciliation with us, it wipes away every stain. You know, this is new carpet, pretty fancy carpet. You can spill things on it. And the color and the way that it works, it usually comes mostly up. You know, but if you know where the, sta- where the things were, that where people spilled their coffee, you know, then you, you, when, every time you walk by it, you can see that faint outline of that stain. Yeah, you know how that happens, you know? You, you, you put wine or, or aged grape juice on a white napkin, and you, you clean it, you can get the sticky out, you can get the smell out, but there's always going to be a purple stain there, you know? Um, or you, you break a, like a ceramic plate. You know, but it's, it's your favorite because it was your great-great-grandmother's, you know. And, and it was a relatively clean break. So you can put it back together and put glue on it. And it'll stick together. It'll hold mashed potatoes and gravy fine. It'll still work. But there's always, you know, I see that line. That, that's not peace with God. P- peace with God means there's no residual. There is no stain. You can't even see the crack. Somehow, it, it grows back together. The ceramics does. That's the peace 
that we have with God. So we have total, perfect, flourishing relation, peace with God now through Jesus Christ. And then it goes on, verse 2. We, in Christ, we have direct access to the creator of the universe. Again, in in verse 2, it's through him, we we have obtained access, direct access to the, the, the top of the hierarchy. That means with, with the creator, the one who created all the universe, right? The one who breathed life into us with his very breath. There's no customer service line that we have to call. You know, there's nobody we got to talk to and get put on hold for 30 minutes or anything. We have direct access. Kathy, my wife, she has spent over the course of three days this last week, six hours. Literal. Um, she timed it. Uh, six hours talking to pharmacies and doctor's offices and insurance companies, getting them all. I see a lot of nods out there. You, you've heard the same hold music. Um, yeah, she had to do that. And, and, and the issue is still not resolved. There, there's no bureaucracy in Christ. The reconciliation is so pure and so great. We go straight to the top in our access to the creator of the universe. So, so we have this Direct access and perfect peace. Thirdly, in Christ, we have a certain hope that we will be with God. We will enjoy God in the fullness of His glory forever. Um, uh, the second part of verse verse 2 captures that. Um, that. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, take a little bit more time on, on, on this one. The, the word rejoice that, that Paul translate, that, that the translators in, in this particular version translate rejoice really means boast. Yeah, you, you've seen boast in the, the Bible a couple of times and, and the word that, I understand what the translators are doing because we in our day, you know, boast sort of has negative connotations, bragging and that kind of stuff. Um, but, so they, they want it to have a positive connotation. Well, I, I think rejoice sort of misses it. I think if you really wanted to capture this, this sense of boasting, we're boasting, we're bragging, we are confident that one day we will be with God face to face in the fullness of God's glory. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Paul's been saying the whole long through. We don't do anything. We don't bring anything to the table. It's everything that Jesus has done. And we can boast and brag and be certain about, have a sure and certain hope. If there's a word I would use, it's confidence. We have an anticipatory confidence. That, that's what the, we boast in our hope. We have an anticipatory confidence that we will be with God forever. And, and that is what feeds our life today. I just, uh, last weekend, uh, last week, uh, 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 Kathy and I and, and two of the kids went down to Alabama to see my, uh, my, my mom and Kathy's dad. Kathy's dad lives in Shelby County, which is just south of, of Birmingham, where I grew up. But just south of Shelby County is Chilton County. And I'm here to tell you, and I told people before I was going, I'm going to get some Chilton County peaches. Because I'm going to be there in July. And I see the Madisons back there, and they knew produce really well. But I'm, I'll, I'll stand up and tell them, face to face, as I'll tell you, those are the best peaches in the universe. And to get them in July is by far the best time to get them. And so when when we got the vacation and set it aside, knew what we were doing, I had that on my mind. 
We were going to get peaches. And I was boasting and bragging to anybody I could. When we get down there, we're going to the farmer's market and I'm going to get a bushel. And I did. Got the bull, and they did not disappoint and brought some home and bragging the whole way. Told my mom, mom, we got a, a, a cranker, um, make your own ice cream at home. And when we get home, I'm taking the rest of these peaches and I'm making some fresh ice cream. And I did on Thursday and we ate it. We ate it last night and it is good. That's the kind of hope, anticipatory excitement that we should have for seeing God face to face. Now, I wish I could have brought some peach ice cream for everybody to have a taste. I couldn't figure out how to keep it cold. And to be quite honest, I'm not that generous. I mean, I had to crank it for a while. You know, I mean, so we, we got blood, sweat and tears in this ice cream and uh, just couldn't quite make enough for everyone. But that is that sure and certain hope, the boasting that we get to have, the bragging that we're going to be With God in the fullness of his glory because of Jesus. So that total access, that perfect peace, and that sure and certain hope. But then Paul goes on. But yet there's more. This feels like a Norelco commercial, huh? Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. (laughs) Wait, what? This slid to a halt there. That same energy, that same boasting and bragging before the joy of the presence of God, we have that same sense in our sufferings, in our hardships, in our pain. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. We have an anticipatory excitement in the midst of our hard times and troubles because we know that God is the master. His signature move is bringing life out of death. That's the very pinnacle of our faith, the very essence, the core, the center. That God brings life out of death and he did it in his son. God the Son, dying and being raised to life, is the essence of our faith. So suffering, then, we know that we anticipate, we enter into that with confidence. We enter into it because we have total peace, we have total access, uh, we have this sure and certain hope, so therefore there's nothing in this world that's going to keep us from that. Even the most grotesque evil and pain because we're in Christ. And what Paul, particularly here with with the Christians in Rome, is he's talking particularly about pain that comes because you're a follower of Jesus. There is pain that comes our way because we're following Jesus. And that that happens. Um, But what God does is he takes that, he uses that in order to to form in us that endurance and that character. Now, the, the word for character there is the same word that's used for the testing of metals. Like gold and silver. Uh, brought to mind Proverbs um, uh, 17.3. Uh, that the, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. 
And again, test is not like a final exam. You pass or fail. Test is like you're testing metals. You're, you're testing the value of something. And you, when you find out where it's missing, you improve it. You know, you, you, you shore that up. Well, just like when you, so you put silver in a furnace and, and it, as it gets hotter and hotter, the impurities burn off or they separate. And what you end up with is purer and purer silver. And that's what God is doing in you and I. That's why we can enter even into the hardships with this anticipation because it's not surprising to God. It's real to God. God is using that now to make us more like Jesus because that is the goal of our lives, right? To be more like Jesus. Sometimes this sort of shocks us and it's a good demonstration, it's a good realization that maybe the goal of our life isn't the biblical goal to be more like Jesus. Maybe the goal of our life... Yeah, at 57, yeah, and my goal is am I saved enough to retire? Yeah, that, maybe that's uh, my goal. Or wherever it's stationed in life. There's a lot of times that there's good goals, good things that we need to be doing. Not, not saying don't do that. But if that becomes the goal of my life, then, then that is called idolatry that gets in the way. So what, what, what we're about is becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's what God is about with us. And so that's why with anticipation we can see this. That this, that God will take the hard times, the suffering, the pain, whatever it is, and He can bring out of that endurance, character, and hope. And that hope does not put us to shame. We're not embarrassed. We're not embarrassed before Him. We're not embarrassed in this life. God succeeds in every situation to make us stronger in Him, to mature us, to grow in endurance and maturity. Now, again, you know, that doesn't mean suffering is good. Suffering is bad. The beauty of God is He takes what is bad and makes it good. We don't, we don't welcome suffering. We certainly don't go looking for it. Don't worry. Plenty will come your way. You, you, you don't go looking for you need some good suffering to grow in Christ. You just follow Jesus. <laughs> Make that your focus. Make that our focus. And hard times, suffering, conflict will come. And, and the beauty is in this hope that God comes upon us, that his spirit is within us. And this provides opportunities, as he tells us in verse 5, that this Holy Spirit who's within us then pours out God's love in us. This only happens because of God's love. And this only happens because God's love is poured out in us in the midst of whatever that pain, whatever the suffering, whatever the hard times might be. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God's love is poured into us. In these situations. Again, yeah, suffering, again, it's not fun. We're not masochists. We don't enjoy it. And we, we don't, what, we oppose it. You know, if it's because of illness, well, we oppose that. We seek to change that su- suffering and that pain. If it's because of injustice for ourselves or others, we don't just take it on and say, okay, God, teach me. No, we oppose it. We go to change it. We, we make actions to, to, to make things right. But in the midst of those times, we have confidence because we know that God is changing us in the process. He's fulfilling what is his greatest purpose in you and me to make us more and more like Jesus. Now, what we see in, in the church in Rome, the conflict that is most common, and we see throughout this letter, is their conflict with one another. Because you got Greeks and you got Gentiles. I mean, you got Greeks and you got Jews. Uh, you, you got the, the, the Hebrews and, and the Gentiles. You know, and they have totally different backgrounds, social experiences, historical realities, um, eth- eth- ethnic backgrounds and habits, and ethical uh, understandings of the world. And now they've come to Jesus. And they're in the same room only because of Jesus. 
They would not be in this intimate relationship as brothers and sisters, as family now, with one another if it weren't for Jesus. They don't like each other. They don't know each other. And Paul, that's why the whole point of the letter of Rome is to bring harmony, to be in tune with Christ so that you are in harmony with one another. That this this good news is so real, it's real in your life with one another. And that's what's happening here. And so he's telling them, in the midst of working in your relationships with one another, in in your church, man, the question is, how is God forming Christ in you in these relationships? How's how's he doing that? How's he feeding your... And what happens is, uh, with them, they, they then experience that love of God as they take that step of engaging with one another. And that feeds their hope. Now, today, we have a privilege of hearing some uh, story about how that can happen um, in um, the, the, the church around the world. Uh, many of you know John and Laura Schindeldecker, who have, uh, over 40 years, have been sent from this place, one that we get to partner with in, in, in glorifying God uh, by, uh, by growing diverse communities of Jesus followers all over the world. And, and uh, John and Laura have, have given their life to, to this very process of saying, as we engage through our conflict with other Christians, and they work primarily with global workers, folks who are uh, sharing Jesus with others around the world. And you think, well, man, they're, they're, they're like high-level Christians. They must be really nice to each other. No. No, they're humans. Just like you and I actually even have even added levels of passion in energy, which causes even greater conflict, I can only imagine. But what they have done is really worked through and developed a, 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 from the scriptures how God wants us to enter into particularly the sufferings and the hard times when it's from conflict with other Christians and that we're in relationship with other Christians because we're following Jesus. And we want to stay in that relationship because if we're not, that hinders the work of the gospel. And so we, we want that. And God has laid out for us in, in Scripture how that works. And you can see those details uh, at peacepursuit.org. And um, it gives you the, a lot of the details and just that plan of really their, their, their life's work. And, and so I asked uh, John to come uh, and just share with us. You know, Tell us a story. Um, uh, tell us ways that you've seen this happen. How this kind of interaction has been so difficult and yet... It brings hope. Feed our hope as we hear what God's doing in and through you around the world. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Drew. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to tell you a story that's true, but I've changed some of the names and non-essential details. William, Sarah, James, and Deborah were bright, young, passionate Jesus followers. They gave up promising careers in their home country to bring the good news of Jesus to a community overseas where there were no followers of him. William and Sarah were the team leaders. Before the team went abroad, they prayed together, worshiped together, studied together, trained together, planned together, and recruited other couples to join their team. Their faith and commitment built up the faith of their friends and their families in their home churches. 
Everyone anticipated how God would be glorified through the lives and witness of these ambassadors for Jesus among people who had never heard of him. They arrived in their new country full of faith, hope, joy, and trust in each other. All was good. Less than a year later, they were empty of faith, hope, joy, and trust in each other. The mental, emotional, social, and spiritual pressures of living as cross-cultural ambassadors for Jesus in a virtually unevangelized society revealed weaknesses and immaturity and not-so-Christ-likeness in each of the four. And these characteristics had not been evident in the comfort and convenience of living in their home country. This is not uncommon, and in fact is the reason we started our Peace Pursuit Ministry. James and Deborah had come to dislike, resist, and complain about William's leadership. Sarah and Deborah's relationship had built up mutual pain from a cycle of criticism and withdrawal. James and Deborah wanted to resign from the team. At the same time, William was ready to dismiss James and Deborah from the team and send them home. If they'd been in their home country, James and Deborah could have simply left the team to join another ministry or go to a church down the street to escape their conflict with William and Sarah. But in their field overseas, there was no other ministry team to join, and by definition, there was no church for them to go to because they were supposed to be planting the very first church in that region. These four were suffering the affliction of conflict and its consequences, but they weren't rejoicing or boasting in their sufferings, as Drew just read to us from Romans 5.3. Far from it. If they didn't resolve their conflict, one or both couples would have to leave the field, which would bring pain and shame on them and their sending churches when they arrived at home. But it was worse than that. Remember, these four were in a social fishbowl surrounded by curious unbelievers watching their every move. We've lived this. These four were meant to be ambassadors for the Prince of Peace, but were so wrapped up in their own conflict with each other, they hadn't noticed that their team's witness for Christ had been compromised among the very local people who observed their strife with each other. Eventually, William came to his senses and asked for outside help. Mediators were called in at great expense of time and money. The two couples put their ministry on hold for a week, Teammates lovingly served by watching the two couple's children. Deborah told the mediators that she would not meet in the same room with Sarah until she felt emotionally safe to do so. Sarah said the exact same thing about Deborah. James announced to the mediators, I don't understand why we have to spend all this time and energy on this conflict with William and Sarah. I just want to get out there and share Jesus with these dear people in our community who have never heard of him. Now, when I first heard this part of the story, I wished I could have sat down and had coffee with James. I wanted to say, James, is the Jesus you want to share with local people, the Jesus who tells us to postpone our acts of worship until we reconcile with someone we know has something against us, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Or is he the Jesus who 
tells us to forgive others while we are standing and praying in worship. That's Mark eleven twenty five. And the Jesus who tells us that others will know that we are his disciples by the love we have for one another. John thirteen thirty five. Is that the Jesus you want to share with these dear people who have never heard of him? Or James, are you going to share a different Jesus with them? I had other questions as I heard more of the story. These were four committed, passionate, biblical, and spiritual ambassadors for Jesus who were approved, commissioned, and sent out by their churches. How was it that these two couples got this far in life, this far in ministry, and this deep in their conflict without applying biblical principles to pursue peace? By asking a few questions, I learned a number of sad facts. First, I learned that their formal theological and ministry training did not include any course on how to resolve conflicts biblically. And I learned that William had been advised to have his team trained in biblical peacemaking before they went overseas, but he had declined. I didn't think we would need it, he confessed later. I also learned that their churches who sent them out did not teach or model for them how to pursue peace. In fact, at least one of their sponsoring churches had been through a nasty split that was never reconciled. Well, during the week, the mediators used our peace pursuit model of biblical peacemaking to coach each one in how to meet with God and take responsibility for their part in their conflict. And to their credit, during that week, the four parties each sought God listened to his voice, and obeyed his word as they went through the peace pursuit process. They pulled planks out of their eyes. They admitted the truth about themselves. They humbled themselves before God. And as God promises the humble, he gave each of them the grace they needed to appropriately confess and forgive each other. On the last day, the mediators brought William, Sarah, James, and Deborah together. It was the first time in weeks that all four had been in the same room together. Remember teammate James, the one who would rather tell unevangelized people about Jesus than make peace with his teammates? He asked to speak first. With tears, James confessed his rebellious and judgmental spirit toward his leader, William, and James also repented of his initial lack of commitment to pursue biblical peace. William, the team leader, confessed he had not cared for James and Deborah in the pastoral way he should have. And William also confessed his prideful belief that he could successfully lead the team without training in biblical peacemaking. Sarah sobbed as she confessed that she had known that her critical words had hurt Deborah, but she had willfully continued to say them. Deborah cried and confessed that she withheld her love and forgiveness of Sarah and that she had consciously withdrawn from Sarah. Just days before, these two women did not feel emotionally safe to be in the same room with each other. Now they stood up and released a flood of tears in a lengthy embrace of mutual repentance and forgiveness. And with their spiritual bonds of pride and unforgiveness broken, these four newly reconciled ambassadors for the Prince of Peace shared a joyous, relaxed meal with each other and their children. Then the two families began the process of rebuilding 
their mutual love and trust. These two couples lived for many years among people who had very little knowledge of the Jesus of the Bible. They testified with their lives, not just their words, that they were true disciples of the Prince of Peace because of the love they had for one another. Thankfully, this happy ending of their story is not unique. When people follow the peace pursuit model, we see breakthroughs like this in marriages, in families, in friendships, in churches, and ministry teams. All glory to God. Now, the experience of these four illustrate what Drew's been preaching to us about in Romans 5, 3 to 5. Over time, these four rejoiced. They boasted in their suffering through the affliction of conflict and acknowledged that the process of reconciliation produced in them endurance And endurance produced character, and character produced hope, and hope did not put them to shame because God's love had been poured into their hearts through the Holy Spirit. For William, Sarah, James, and Deborah, hope lost became hope found. Their story can be your story, too. Amen. Let's uh, thank you, John, for sharing, and thank you, John and Laura, for just what you uh, you do and your faithfulness to God's call. Let's uh, let's pray together. Uh, Almighty God, first we again thank you that we have 